Let's go to our Father in prayer to prepare our minds and hearts. I'll give you a silent moment or two, and then I will uh, kick in and close us out, and we'll, we'll get rolling with this. Fathers, we get ready to unfold and look at your holy and divine word. We, we thank you for what we're about to study and what you've given us. We know that in time past that you knew we'd be gathered here together today to look at this. And we pray, Father, that its intent and its meaning and its help for our life will be made evident and that our minds will willingly see it and accept it. And we will move forward, Father, in Worshiping you and growing in the grace and the knowledge that is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we ask all of these things. And we thank you also for being a part of us and being here present with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you want to turn to Jonah chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. While you're turning there, I'll talk about a couple of things real quick. First off, I don't usually do anything concerning prophecies and stuff like that. Um, But there are some factual things that sometimes we just need to know about. And I've been kind of watching some things, looking at things, studying some things. And it's going to come out when I come back from vacation, Lord willing, we'll do chapter 3. And there is some great things in chapter 3. Hopefully we can just just expand and blow our minds with what's going to be found in chapter 3. One of the things deals with, it's not in the scripture, but in actual history, so I teach it as that and show you that it's not a part of this, but it plays a part in history, was an eclipse that could have been around that time. Um, so just so that we know what's happening in our world today, because Genesis 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 14 states, that when God created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the things that are in it, that he did those so that people could tell seasons, times, and things that are going on within his framework. A couple of things that was happening. Did you know that we had a partial eclipse of the sun on Friday the 13th? Two days ago was Friday the 13th. There was a partial eclipse of the sun, and you know where it was at? It was over Tasmania. So there was a partial eclipse over Tasmania. Did you know that um, right after that, just after that ended, that Hamas attacked Israel? Did you see that? That there was a bunch of uh, mortars fired and there was a bunch of rockets and their, their Iron Dome defense system had to come out and start knocking some of that stuff down? Did you realize that the, that the word Hamas is in the scripture. It starts in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah and the flood, where it says in verse 13 that there was violence in the world because of them. Uh, The people, the beings that was there at that time that was doing continually evil, it says violence because of them. The word violence in the original Hebrew language is Hamas. So the 
the name Hamas means violence. So they have taken that name upon themselves, and you don't hear that in the news. But Hamas is violence, and that's what they do, and that's what they are continuing to do. So right after we have an eclipse on Friday the 13th, we have Israel being attacked. Next Saturday on their Sabbath is the 9th of Av, and on the Jewish calendar, Back in the 700 B.C. and in 70 A.D., on that date, the temples were destroyed. Both temples, the first one that Solomon built and the second one, were both destroyed on the same day in history on the Jewish calendar on the 9th of Av, and that'll be next Saturday. And then the next Saturday after that, a week from that, I don't know if you've heard, but there's going to be a blood moon. I'm sure Terry's heard because he keeps on with some of that stuff. It's going to be the longest blood moon in a century. And guess where it's centered at? Over Jerusalem. The blood moon in two weeks on a Saturday will be centered over Jerusalem on the 70th year of their statehood. So you just kind of got to wonder. I don't know what it means. I'm not going to even try to tell you that I know what it means. But I'm just going to tell you that God said pay attention to the things that goes on. You can tell that uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And he told the Pharisees, you can determine the signs like I told you in Genesis 1. But you can't see that all those pointed to me. Everything is pointing to Christ. What it means, I have no idea. But I wanted you to be aware so that whenever you see in the next couple of weeks if things happen in the news, maybe it's because God's trying to tell us something, okay? I know he was trying to tell Jonah something, if you're there in Jonah chapter 2 with me. We learned last week a little bit about chapter 1, about Jonah, that his name meant the dove, and... Amittai, the son of that he was, was meant my truth. So God was basically in that first verse saying, I am sending a dove, the son of my truth, to you with a peace offering. And he said, go and give this message to Nineveh. And Jonah said, okay, Lord, I will do that. And then when he, was, he thought the Lord wasn't looking, he went west to Joppa, and then to Tarshish when the Lord had told him to go east to Nineveh. And the Lord found him. He thought he was running, but he couldn't. And the Lord found him. And then it says that he threw a, hurled a great storm upon the ocean, upon the sea that he was upon. And we kind of likened that ship that he was on to our life and how that sometimes our decisions can lead to storms that's out there on the Mediterranean. And it not only affects us, but our family members and friends as well, just like it affected the sailors that was on the ship that Jonah was upon. And then we saw that even though he tried to tell them, it's my fault, throw me over, they didn't want to at first. They continued to try to help him, but in the end, they had to go ahead and throw him overboard. And that's where we pick up today. So if you're there, let's start with verse 17 of chapter 1 because that leads us then right into chapter 2 and we'll read all of that together then. And here we go. It says this, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol, and you heard me. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and your billows passed over me. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again unto your holy temple. The water encompassed him to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But, and this is why I love the butts of the Bible, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed to you. And there's where we learned that he had already made a vow before and ran. He said, that which I have vowed, I will pay as he was praying down in the bottom. Because I realize salvation is from the Lord. Verse 10, the Lord then commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And I say, wow. There's a lot in those 10 verses, isn't there? There's a whole lot. Boy, the depths of which we could go. Puns intended there. The depths of this chapter that we could go to. All right, first off, I want you to know something. God's going to pursue you. No matter what, He's always there, and He's going to pursue you, He's going to follow you, and He's going to know where you're at. Sometimes He has to rock the boat. He wants to get our attention. But, if we don't pay attention to the rocking of the boat, we might get tossed out into the deep, trying to come to our senses. But I'm going to tell you something. Romans 8.28 says that all things... Work together for our good to those who love the Lord. So whatever it is that comes your way for some reason, it will be worked to the good if you will allow it. The fish and casting overboard worked to Jonah's good because it was there that he started realizing again about the grace and the love of God. I don't get all of this stuff when you talk to people. Even Christians in places, when you talk to them, they'll say, uh, Jonah, creation, Noah, the flood. I don't know if I really believe all of that stuff. I, I think they might have just been stories. I'm going to tell you, that's hogwash. Every word of Scripture is true, and it is given by the breath of God, and it is profitable for us for something. And so everything in here is absolute truth. And I ask you something, do you believe in God? Do you believe that he created the earth? Just think about it, if he created the earth, the stars, the heavens, the galaxies, and everything that goes on and it moves symbiotically without destruction, it maintains life upon this earth with all of the creatures he created. If he created those things, can he not adjust them in some way? Can he not prepare a fish for a purpose? 
If he created everything, I say, yes, he can. And preparation he did because, first of all, he had to keep those chompers from chomping Jonah up whenever he put him in, didn't he? He didn't get crushed either by teeth or some of those great creatures like the whales will use their gills and the throat to crush plankton and small things as it goes inside. God prepared this fish to be able to swallow Jonah whole. When it says that he prepared or appointed a great fish, that word appointed or prepared means to have something and to prepare it for a purpose and then commission it and set it forth for that purpose. And so God took this fish and he prepared it in special ways. He made it to where it would swallow him. He made it to where... I don't know if he fed him abundantly before that so that he went on a three-day fast. But I know one thing. Water didn't come in and consume Jonah, and he didn't drown. Another thing, God prepared him by shutting off digestive juices, didn't he? So that he didn't get shriveled up into nothing. He stopped the, the spasms of the stomach from pushing him on into the intestines and on, on through the system. So God prepared this fish for a mission, and he did it. And we learned last week that sometimes God's unintelligent creatures obey God better than his intelligent creatures do. And so we see that God now has prepared this fish and done all of this stuff and prepared it for Jonah's habitation for three days and three nights. Another thing I say about this being a true story is... When Jesus was standing there before the Pharisees and they're always saying, I want a sign, give me a sign, show me your God. What did he say? He said, this generation seeks after a sign, but there shall be no sign given unto you except that of the prophet Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And so the Son of Man shall spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So my Lord said this is a true story too. So I am buying into it, I am believing it, and I am saying, what does it say to me, and how does it prepare me for life? First thing, it says, Jonah repented, and at the moment that he does, verse 1 says he's back in fellowship. Look up there with me. He says, God is preparing not only the fish, but Jonah for repentance by this, and then he's preparing Jonah's life to be a message for repentance to another group of people. But he says there, I prayed to the Lord, my God. My God. Personal relationship. He had been running away. He was outside. And now he is turning back and he says, I remembered the Lord and I prayed to my God. And... We always talk about 1 John 1, 9, but it is so true that it says that if I will confess and go to him in prayer my faults, he is faithful and just to forgive me of those sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And now I have fellowship with him and walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. And at the moment that Jonah said, my God, and started praying to him for this repentance, He was back into fellowship. God heard from... Another thing I learned, it don't matter where you are. He's in the depth of the ocean in the belly of a fish. Or you can be here. Or you can be in a rocket ship going to Mars. But God will hear your prayer. 
It doesn't matter what situation you're in or what location you're in. God hears it and reacts. And you know what else is so cool? Oh, that's for later. I'll save that. Just remember there's something else cool coming up. The next thing we found out that as he's in there, he starts talking about what happened when they tossed me overboard. Now, now he's saying, I got back in a right relationship and I started thinking and I started going over the things in my head of what happened whenever they tossed me overboard. And he says this, I was cast into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The current of the sea engulfed me. Did you know that? Did you know that the sea has currents? That's the word actually for a river. There are rivers that run through the sea. Now there was a man long ago that said, he read that and he said, God's word is true, I'm going to set out to find those. And he did and he found out that there are currents in the sea as the word of God said and also winds. And we have the trade winds that now all of the ships started going on to go and to do their trade from continent to continent when it was back in the ship days. And now all the ships still use these currents to be able to go with the flow as they move in places. So this river in the middle of the sea grabs Jonah. just so happens that's right where he's at. He gets cast into this thing that drags him down like a 10-cent bobber with a flathead catfish on it. But he's gone. He's down. And he's going deep in there. And then what happens? He says this. He says, It pushed me down. I descended to the very roots of the mountains that form the bottom of the sea. And then he said, The weeds wrapped around my head. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you ever been swimming in a lake, in a pond, or even the ocean, and got into seaweeds? I hate seaweeds. I want to make a confession to you. I detest seaweeds. I would detest going in, diving in, and swimming, and all of a sudden, something starts wrapping around you, or you're, you're swimming underwater, and you can't see because it's all murky, and they touch you. They feel like sandpaper, They want to stick like Velcro. They stink. I can't stand them. And tell you something funny, it always scares my wife. She doesn't like to get out in the ocean because she thinks that a shark's going to get her. And if that seaweed wraps around her, she squeals like a girl. But don't tell her I said that, all right? But anyway, I hate, I detest seaweed. Jonah goes so far through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to even say these seaweeds was wrapping around my head. I was under like a bobber. I'm going down. And then what happens? He says, I was trapped in the pit, but you heard me. You heard me from the pit, and my voice went up to you, and you heard my despairing cry, and your love lifted me. There's a song that goes like that. Love lifted me. You heard my despairing cry. And then look back again at verse 7 as we go back to our text. It contains pure dynamite for our spiritual life about what's going on here. He says, while I was fainting away. That word for fainting there means to become feeble. To be your light going out. Your life passing away like a vapor. Like something that is temporary the way that it is. And he says, when I was fainting and the thing was about to go black and I was covered in darkness. Now there's going to be a big word play coming in here on some things and I hope we grasp the meaning. 
It says he realized something, a great profound truth, and one that we need to understand. And that's the frailty of life. He thought he was big, he thought he was strong, and thought I can run from God. Now all of a sudden he's seen how quick you can go from being in the belly of a boat sound asleep to the belly of a fish. There's three bellies that he's in during this. What a great message here. When my soul was ready to faint within me, and that word is nephesh. That's the word for the spark of life that's within you. When God breathed into the nostrils of man in Genesis 2, after he had formed him, it says he breathed into the nostrils the breath of lives. And man became a living soul. And that still happens today with every baby that's born. It's the breath of God that is within you that gives us life. Your life is a breath of God and that's why it's eternal. And it says in Ecclesiastes that our body will go back to the dust from which it was formed but our spiritual soul will go back to the Father who gave it. It's His breath. It's called the spark of life, the nephesh, the soul. And he says, when my nephesh, when my soul, when my spark of life was getting ready to leave this body, something happened. I remembered the Lord, it says up there. The word remembered, this is, this is the cool thing I was going to tell you about. The word remembered, I remembered the Lord. It's talking about this prayer that he's got going on. But it also has the idea behind it of incense. And if you remember several months ago we talked about prayer. And we went to Revelation 8. Where it talked about the throne room of God becomes silent. And the angel offers up incense with the prayers of the saints. And they go up before the face of God. This word carries incense behind it. This is a prayer of repentance. This is a prayer of worship. It carries behind it this sweet smell of someone returning back to the Lord and the angels rejoicing. And he says, I remembered the Lord and he give me life again. Here comes the beauty of God. Even though I was running away, my prayer went up from the depths of the sea. And he heard my prayer in the heavenly throne room. It says, in the temple of God, he heard me and listened and acted upon those. And that's when Jonah, like the prodigal son, came to himself. It took all of this to get him to come to himself. And boy, there's a whole lesson in there about coming to yourself. Now, now comes another point we want to make. Jonah is praying and asking for grace and mercy, isn't he? But do you remember why Jonah's in the belly of the well in the first place, or the great fish, actually? Because he's running from God, because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, because he doesn't like those folks, because they are the most wicked set of people that there are on the planet. They have persecuted Judah and Israel, and I am not going to take the message to them because I want them to fry, Lord. I want them to get what they deserve. They deserve that. They don't deserve your grace. Oh, what a lesson this is to us. Don't think that about other folks because look what happens to him. He's in the belly of the well asking for what? Forgiveness. Asking for grace. Does he deserve it? No. 
God told him what he's supposed to do, and he's doing the opposite. He's leaving God. He's ignoring God. He's running. Does he deserve it? First great thing. Aren't you, aren't you so glad we don't get what we deserve? I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve eternal life and Christ dying for me. But he give it. And if we want grace, and Jonah wanted grace, what about all of those other folks? God's saying, I love them as much as you. So this is the whole message here. Jonah is getting what he don't deserve so that he will go give the message to people that he didn't think deserved it. He had to learn first that he doesn't deserve it either. So he gets, that's point number one, God's long-suffering towards us and his love for everyone that he reaches out with. That's what it's all about. He says, I remembered God and I turned back and he rescued me from the depths of the sea. And then Jonah learned another great lesson. He learned what life is really all about. What walking in this life is. It says this in verse 1 and then, or verse 8 and then we're going to decipher it. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Some translations say vain vanities or vain idols forsake their own faithfulness or mercies. And you say, what does that mean for me? Really, I don't have idols. I'm not bowing down to those things. Okay, let's start breaking this apart. Let's start applying it today. That might have made sense back in 1600 when King James was written. What's it say to us today? Let's, let's start looking at it. First of all, those who regard. That word for regard means to actually guard something. Something that is important and you don't want to lose it. Don't want it to be left. It can work in a negative and a positive way. A negative way is a prisoner. We put them under guard, don't we? We put them in a jail cell or we put them under a watch. So on a negative sense... You've got a guard there that you don't want them to leave. On a positive sense, probably most of you have a safe in the house. Most of you lock your doors at night. Why? Because you're wanting protection. Because you have things that mean something to you. And you don't want to lose them. You don't want anything to be lost or forsaken. So you place a guard around it. This is the word that's used here. So he says, those who regard, those who try to hang on to something, do what? They're trying to hang on to worthless idols. No. Vain vanities is what the actual translation is. Vain vanities. You say, what's that? Okay. We go to the preacher we go to Solomon in Ecclesiastes. How does it start out? If anyone knows, we're going to study that one day because it's a great book. It's a book about life and seeking happiness without God. First two verses say, Solomon tried to seek after everything that he could find in life. He wanted to find happiness. He was the richest man in the world and the wisest man in the world. He had asked God for a gift of wisdom And he gave it to him. And he was the wisest and richest. And he wrote a book about using those two traits in life. And he says in verse 1, it was vanity of vanities. And it means emptiness. It means without reward. It means a nothingness that was fleeting. And it's not going to make you happy. And he says, those who regard 
this life, this fleeting thing that we call life and the things in it are guarding vanities and emptiness. That that is not what we're supposed to be doing. In his search for happiness, he tried everything and he will spill these out. I tried this. I did this. I commanded him to make me this. He had everything. He ended the book. The last two verses say this. First of all, he says, I have considered the matter of everything. My life being wise and rich. And what is it? That the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. For that's the whole duty of man. You can't find happiness without God is what he's saying. I tried to find happiness without God in my life and see if I could. And, oh, I didn't even use my prop. It just now hit me. Whenever I was talking about seaweeds, I was going to wrap myself all up in that. Anyway, he said, he said, this vanity of life that I'm searching after, it didn't work. I found out that the only way to happiness was to fear God and keep his commandments because after that, we give account of our life. And God brings all of that into there. And he was the wise and the just man. So now, at this point, Jonah is learning that fact. He has been trying to do what he wanted to do. And now, in the belly of the fish, he's found out. That happiness is really doing what God wanted to do when it all comes down to it, doesn't it? That's where it's going to be. I called it Jonah's uh-oh moment. He was there and about ready to faint, it says, and things was going, and he remembers God and goes, uh-oh. I was chasing after the things I wanted, the things that I thought. Without that, you know, and life's like that for us in application the world and everything about it tells us that it's not important to worship God, to have Him in your life, to follow those stupid rules, to go to church, sleep in. I mean, you work all week. Do the things you like. But when the chips start cashing in, you find your uh-oh moment. And that's where he's at right now. He goes, uh-oh. Here's what I'm doing. And this is what the verse up there says if you're looking at it. It says, if I do that, I forsake their own faithfulness. What's that mean? I'm exchanging something. I'm exchanging for living for me, for living for God. And when I do that, I am forsaking something. That word forsake was first used, Genesis chapter 2. When God made man and then he made woman, Isha, and brought her to him, Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and for this cause shall a man leave, forsake father and mother, and to spend the time with her. And so when we live for self, we forsake we leave God and the source of your faithfulness is what that's saying. God says what? I am faithful. I am just. When we forsake him, that word we, for mercy is kissed. It is the strongest word for grace and a covenant relationship with God. It's the word used when Abraham, God says, I am making my covenant with you and your family and you will be my people. And Jonah 
And the Holy Spirit is telling us that when we live for self and think we can find happiness without God and living for Him, then we forsake our covenant relationship with the one who is the only one that's faithful to you in this life. You leave that and forsake it and turn your back on it. God doesn't tell us things for you not to have fun. You know what Jesus said? He said, seek first my kingdom and the righteousness of God. And I'll, I'll add all of these things to you. So the whole thing about having fun in life and enjoying life and being prosperous and happy is what are your sights set on? If I'm walking with God, he's going to bless me anyway. If I'm, if I'm looking at self, it's for a moment and I've gave up my covenant relationship with the one who's faithful, who's going to give me these things anyway. All he's asking is for me to concentrate on him while I'm doing it and be faithful to him back. So he says, those who regard and cherish the empty things, the vanity things, the vapor that's here for a moment and pass away. Jesus said it's the things that moths destroy and rust decays. When you set your sight on that instead of me, you did it with vanities and you've forsaken the only thing that's eternal. You've traded temporal rotting things for eternal things. So then... He says this, listen how the Bible explains the application of that in the life of a man of God. Moses, we all know the story of Moses, but here's what Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 through 26 says about Moses and it points to this whole thing that Jonah just said. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures put in vanities there of sin for a season, esteeming, knowing that the reproach of Christ is greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. And he had respect. He realized the recompense or the reality of his reward. So by faith in the word of God and following after it, it says that Moses chose to live for God even if it meant suffering in this present life because this is temporal. This is passing away. This is a vapor. It's a lying deceit is another translation of Jonah chapter 2. The world's lying deceitfulness is for you to grab a hold of that happiness your way. Jonah, Moses, the word of God says that happiness is walking in fellowship with him and he will provide everything for your happiness that you need. And then it says Jonah met the rubber met the road. We're going to go back now. God breathed life into us. He realized at this moment, here's another point for us. I trusted in God and now... I'm here, I'm rational, I'm thinking, I'm inside of here, and he realizes something. If I made it through the heart of the sea and those seaweeds, and if I made it into this fish, and now I'm sitting here all of this time, guess what? God's in charge, isn't he? 
God's in charge of my life, no matter where I'm at, if I really sit back and look at it. God's in charge, and if I'm still sitting here, then he's got a plan for me, doesn't he? He's got a plan for me. He's got a plan that whatever it is that I have just went through, he's going to use that to benefit someone else through me and to glorify him through me by helping someone else. God has a plan for you. Every one of you who are in Christ, God has a plan for you. And your life is unique. And you have seen things and you have been through things. And there's someone just waiting for you not to run away from them. And tell them when you see them like the blind man in the corner... Or you see the one who's aching because they've lost someone. Or they're aching because someone left them high and dry. And you don't go to them like Jonah ran. He's saying, I'm preparing you through what you've seen and what you've been through to help someone else. And when you do that, you glorify me. Because I was the one in charge anyway. And sometimes I bring you through these things so that I can be glorified. Remember what he said about that blind man a few weeks ago? They said, why is he like this and this and that? Tried to accuse him. He said, no, so that he might glorify God. You have seen what you saw to glorify God. Use that and don't Run away. Allow God to be glorified through what He has presented to you. Then he says this, when he realized that I am here and God has a plan and a purpose for my life and He's in control of it, he said this, verse 9, he prayed for forgiveness and realizes that there is a purpose for me and he says, Lord, I will sacrifice now to you. With the voice of thanksgiving. He's in the middle of a fish. And he is raising a voice of thanksgiving. For what he has just been through. And what he is still in. Because he says now I know that you're in charge. And you've still got me covered with your hand. And what I have vowed. What I told you a long time ago I'd do. And I ran. I'm changing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay that vow. And then he says this. Salvation is of the Lord. He realized who brought him through everything. And then, as Jonah chapter 3 begins, it says this, and that's where we'll be in a couple weeks. The Lord approached Jonah again this time. After it spits him up on dry land, verse 10 said, now the Lord's going to approach him a second time. And now it says that when the Lord asked him to go to Nineveh, he what? It says he arose And he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He set his mind and his life now on doing the purpose that God had set before him to do. So as we close, what lessons can we kind of take away as a little cheat sheet if you're jotting things down? First thing, man, God's the only one big enough to handle my life, to handle my storm, my ship. In the end, i got to do what he tells me to do anyway, so why make it rough on myself? Go ahead and give it over to him now and give my life to him. Jonah finally got wise when those breakers and the river took him to the depths. Don't 
go that far before we do that. He said, when my soul fainted, I remembered God. I say, remember God today, folks. Remember that now before it's too late. So when we get flustered up, go to Him in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do something else. When you go to Him in prayer, you can pray it more than once because it's going to be on your mind. But what I've gotten the habit of doing is letting God know that I'm not doing it because I don't believe that you're going to handle it because I know you are. But it's on my mind, so I'm sharing it with you. And number two, don't be an Indian giver. Whenever you give it to him, don't take it back on you. Don't say, Lord, take this problem and help me. And then you take it back on you and you get all worried and flustered and still try to solve everything yourself. Give it to him in faith and say it's yours. (laughs) You said it. I believe it. I'm trusting you. Take a hold of it and do it. You're in control and you've got the plan. So do it your way. Third, life's a vapor. This world is vanity. It's empty. And all of its promises are nothing. And when the oh-oh moment comes, you realize it. So let's get smart early. I remember my, my grandmother right next to the fridge, so you saw it all the time, was this little German little plaque, a little hanging thing, and it had an older husband and wife, and they were looking at each other, and it said in kind of English with a German accent, we get too soon old and too late smart. <laughs> we get too soon old and too late smart. I'm saying let's get smart now. Let's get smart now. Don't, don't get too late smart. So this life's a vapor. Don't wait for an oh-oh moment. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's going to add all of these things to our life anyway. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Everything. Then say in the good times it says in everything. In the belly of the well, verse 9, he began giving thanks with a voice of praise. (laughs) You know, it's easy advice, but hard to follow when you're in the middle of it. I'm going to be honest with you. It's easy for me to give advice when folks ask me about things and, and it's not you. And then when it's you in the fire and in the flame, buddy, it's tough to accept that advice. And it's also not a time to try to learn something. I've found out that you don't learn well when you're in chaos and when you're in trouble and when your mind's working, you don't, you don't learn things. That's why we are to study now and that's why we come together now and we learn now. And that's why the Word of God, is, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they posted things on the doors. They posted the Word of God on the walls, on the doorposts. They talked when they laid down. They talked when they sat up. They talked when they ate. Why? Because you can learn under those conditions when you're relaxed so that you have knowledge and information of the Word of God to stand upon His promises when things go sour. And it was finally in the belly that that foundation that Jonah had as a man of God and had learned in time past now came true for him to be able to stand on and go, God's in charge. I'm still here. I forgot that. I remembered God. And now those things start coming back. You can't learn when you're going through it, and when you're going through chaos. So in everything in our life, let's give thanks to Him. 
And as the worship team returns to close us out, lastly, Jonah states a profound truth. He said, salvation is of the Lord. There is no other way than the Lord Jesus Christ. I think our song is going to be, wasn't it something special about that name? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is something special about that name. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I ask you, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you are here and you have not been baptized into Christ, first is faith and belief. Whenever you have faith, and I want to help folks understand this passage, so bear with me a second, Paul and Pam, but we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of any works, lest man should boast. So faith... He that believes in the Son of God has life. He that does not already does not have life. But belief and faith goes hand in hand with following the Word of God, just like Jonah learned you had to do. And just like it said with Moses, what? By faith, Moses, when he came of age, decided to suffer with God's children and forsake all of that of Egypt. Isn't that a work? Wasn't that a work to leave and to go through the desert and lead? No, it says by faith. By faith, Noah, when he learned of what was getting ready to happen, worked with fear and for his family and built an ark. I thought that's a work. No, it says by faith. Faith is doing what God told you to do. It's not a work. So when... Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, is talking about faith and belief. Belief is doing what you're told to do. With Moses, it was to leave. With Abraham, it was to leave. Another time, it was to offer his son. With Noah, it was to build a ship. With us, it's a whole lot easier, isn't it? If you believe that I am the Son of God, then do what I've told you to do. If you're here and you've already done that, and you're a child of God, but you and I, like Jonah, sometimes wander in the opposite direction, don't get too soon old and too late smart. Come back today. Make today the day of your salvation, your return. Pray to Him and just ask for that forgiveness. He's faithful and just to do that. And you will have fellowship back again. And then we take this message to these kids this week in VBS, to their folks when they're dropping them off. We talk with them and be friendly when they're picking them up. We share that message so that maybe they, like Nineveh, maybe this entire town begins to repent and turn to God. So that'll be our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy divine word boy there was so much in this chapter who would have thunk it we are challenged by the things that we've heard it it's such a great challenge to try to follow these things and to do them but father we we desire to live for you we desire to please you and we pray father that your grace and your mercy will be upon us and be with those who right now are asking you 
to be their God and to have that personal relationship. We pray, Father, that you will answer from your throne room of grace as you did with Jonah and as you've promised to do. And we love you and we thank you for being the God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.